Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the Your Forest Podcast. It's going to be a good one today. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Greenlink Forestry, providing resource inventory analysis for a long time. High quality stuff. If you want to know what you got for resources, check out Greenlink. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know what that was. Um, also, second uh, second sponsor is Damaged Timber. Damaged Timber is an apparel company out of uh, Edmonton. Local company, they are supporting conservation and 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 land management and that kind of stuff through the, through the sale of their products. They're uh, they're trying to start up a uh, scholarship for uh, people going into natural resource based programs. And uh, yeah, I think they're going to try and take ten percent of everything sold and, and, and put that towards that. So that's their goal. Uh, yeah, they're a really cool company. Um, they got lots of really high quality t-shirts and hats and toques. Uh, they got like a little, the symbol is a, it's a, it's a caribou hoof with some trees silhouetted in it. And they're really nice, really, really nice hats. Like they're my favorite hats now. They're awesome. Um, if you guys want to check them out, uh, yeah, you can go to damagetimber.com. And if you guys buy anything, put in the code yourforest10 at the end at checkout. And that'll give you 10% off any and all additional sales that are going on there. And so I think like regular price for a t-shirt, it's like 27 bucks or something like that. And I think, yeah, they have sales on all the time. So you can get off of that. And then hats, I think are roughly the same around 30 bucks, but you can get 10% off or if they have additional sales, you get way more off. So check them out. They're awesome. Uh, today's podcast, we have a really cool one, uh, conservation focus on it. And it is uh, Todd Zimmerling. He's the president and CEO of the Alberta Conservation Association. They are a nonprofit uh, as well as government-supported organization, and uh, they do a lot of the the, the counts and um, and studies as far as as what we have for populations in the province, as well as they acquire private land to be turned into conservation land um, through purchases or through other stuff. Um, yeah, they're a really interesting organization. Very unique, very very unique opportunity they have uh, in in the in the country. Really, there's no, there's, I don't think there's any other organizations like them. Uh, yeah, it's 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 it was a really really interesting podcast. Talked about conservation of birds and 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 charismatic predators and all kinds of stuff. Lots of hunting. Um, yeah, really really good podcast you guys are really going to like it so uh yeah without further ado here is todd and i here we go it's podcast time <laughs> all right let's go then <laughs> so anyways thanks a lot for coming on this yeah, is no uh, problem. thank yeah, you this will be good i'm excited to have uh some another perspective on besides forestry perspectives so yeah, yeah this will be good um maybe you want to start just kind of explaining uh what the aca is how it got started what your guys's uh purpose is uh, sure. Yeah. The Alberta Conservation Association uh, started back in 1997. Uh, so this is our 20th year anniversary this year. And uh, it's a fairly unique organization, uh, certainly in Alberta, if not uh, across North America, in that uh, we're actually a delegated administrative organization under the Wildlife Act, which sounds complicated. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, uh, um, essentially under the Wildlife Act, uh, the government has said that a levy we will be placed on every fish and uh, fishing and hunting license that is sold. And that money comes to the Alberta Conservation Association. Right. And with those funds, we are meant to work with the government and to undertake uh, activities on behalf of the government. 
Um, but um, in addition to being a DAO, we are also a not-for-profit society. So uh, we also uh, collect uh, funds through uh, corporate donations, individual donations. We get federal grants and that sort of stuff to allow us to do even more than what we, we can get done with just the levy. So right. uh, we're unique in that way. Uh, we're a hunter, angler, trapper-supported uh, organization. Mm-hmm. And that's where our money is coming from. Uh, but we do a wide range of projects from, uh, you know, land habitat purchases um, to uh, fisheries projects to wildlife projects, uh, yep. you know, all across the province. Yeah, looking at your guys' website, it's pretty extensive. You guys got everything, like the whole the whole situation, right? Invasive species and wetlands and like it's all over the map. So, yeah, you guys got a lot of experience in, in, in taking care of that kind of stuff. How yeah. long have you been with the ACA? Uh, I've been with ACA for the past 10 years. Nice. I uh, came out of environmental consulting myself. So okay. I, I, uh, my wife and I started a, a company quite a few years ago and we sold that out and I uh, then end up coming over to ACA and I've uh, really enjoyed the change. Uh, it's kind of got me back to what I really wanted to be into biology for in the first place, working with fish and wildlife and working yeah. with the stakeholders themselves. So it's been really good. Sweet. That's awesome. No, it's a, it, it's an interesting concept having a, a, a private organization being responsible for uh, like a, a giant portion of the, the, the management or not maybe not the management, but the the population counts and the, and, and the conservation side of it for, for public lands, right? That's, it's a unique situation you guys are in for sure. Yeah, certainly it is. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to be clear that we don't do the management. Our job right. is to collect data and give it to the, the uh, wildlife biologists who work for the government and they make the management plans, they yeah. make the regulations um, on, you know, if you're looking at harvesting issues, that's, that's uh, the government that is doing that. We're collecting right. data for them and yeah. they make those decisions. Yeah. yeah. So how much, how much of the, how much is the levy? Like how much, what's the percentage in there for oh, it, you guys? It varies depending upon the license uh, you buy. Okay. Uh, I've asked. It's uh, listed on there, eh? Um, you'd have to go on the web, our website. It'll show you how much each license would be and how what proportion, you know, most of them, it's somewhere between 30 to in some cases up to 70% of what you're paying actually comes to us as a, that's awesome. as a levy. Yeah. That's really good. Um, you know, I've tried to look into the background because like I say, it's all over the place. <laughs> a whitetail would be one thing and a mule, or a um, mule deer license would be different levy. And apparently at the time when they were figuring out the levies and take, keep in mind, this is over 20 years ago. Now a group of guys sat down and, and tried to think about how much more would a person be willing to pay right. on a license. Well, and it's pretty cheap already. Like yeah, you think about is. buying a whitetail tag, like this year I think it was 38 bucks or something like that. Yeah. It's like considering you can harvest a whitetail for that amount, that's like, cons- like compared to the States, I think they're paying like a couple hundred dollars or something. Yeah, definitely. And we yeah. did a review of it uh, several years ago when we uh, actually did a, a levy increase and our license uh, costs are right in about the middle for all of Canada. So it's not, we're not on the high end by any means. And I yeah. think most people would be willing to pay more for sure for the experience you get in Alberta. Absolutely. Oh, big time. I, yeah, I, I don't even blink an eye of paying whatever. Like I pay like maybe 200 bucks a year for my wildlife certificate, hunting tags, and stuff and like that's i get to you know i get to go out hunting and do whatever with a few different animals and stuff like that so i think that's totally worth it i don't think i don't think anybody would blink an eye at having the chance at, at, at getting an animal paying you know 100 bucks for it if they had to not that i'm saying you should do yeah. that but <laughs> no. yeah and i uh uh, yeah, and, and yeah, I, I agree with it. it. The only time it hurts is when you've got a family like I do with a wife and two kids that also hunt, so I'm paying close to a thousand bucks. Yeah, but, then it adds yeah. up pretty quick. Yeah, go get <laughs> but, a job. What yeah, are you doing? <laughs> it's definitely worthwhile. It's a lot of fun. It gets the family out there, and, and we get a lot of really good meat out of it. So yeah, worthwhile. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I just picked up, I just got a, uh, my second white tail with the bow actually this last weekend. Oh, nice. I'm pretty happy with it. So, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's an awesome journey. I've been hunting my whole life and fishing my whole life and it's, yeah, I love it. I just want to promote it for everybody to get into, right? So. 
Yeah, it's certainly something that we are, uh, we certainly have identified as, uh, you know, a, a primary focus that we have for the next couple of years here is trying to ensure more and more people. We don't necessarily need everybody to get out there and hunt, you know, and as a hunter, I'm sure you understand, you don't really want everybody standing. No, no, you, no. But everybody understanding why it is important and at least, uh, at least being acceptable to the idea. Yeah. And uh, so we actually uh, launched a new web page um, this past year, Harvest Your Own website, okay. which is, is geared directly towards uh, new hunters and people who are interested in it. So it's got all the steps of how you get a, get to having a license. And once you, once you harvest an animal, what do you do? There's videos on there and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's a really good idea because I, I actually have lots of friends who uh, they have questions along those lines, right? And I'll tell them what's going on. But they want to get into hunting and they want to get into fishing and stuff like that. And I mean, fishing is not as complicated, but hunting, you know, to do the exam and stuff. Um, and I tell them, I was like, yeah, I'll take you out hunting, but like go do the exam. I'm not going to hold your hand. Like I don't have time to do that for you. Like it's fine. You can go do it. Right. And then it, and not a lot of them do it. I had one buddy this last year who did it. And uh, so I think he probably, he might've found your website and might've made things clearer for him. Right. So that's, I think that's a really important point is I don't, I think people don't know where to start. Yeah, right? no, I, that's exactly it. And, and it is, you know, it is relatively simple. The Alberta Hunter Education Instructors Association has everything online for you now. So yeah. you can take the exam online and learn that, you know, really the only complicated part is having to, if you're going to have your own gun and carry your own gun, you need to get your federal, um, yeah. license, your, your possession and acquisition license. Yeah. Um, and even that, uh, the uh, AHIA group will put that course on for you. And, right. You know, it's one weekend and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a, not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think maybe we should get into the idea of, I think people get confused. They hear conservation and like hunting, fishing, and trapping, right? They're mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, they're tied together. They don't get how that works, right? So I don't know, maybe you want to kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a question I get a lot from the general public is, you know, yeah. how can you support hunting and say you're a conservation group at the same time? I mean, you're, you're killing animals. And, right. And the truth is, yeah, if you're hunting, you're certainly harvesting animals, no mm -hmm. doubt about it. Um, but the truth is, it's it's really the people who are out there hunting, fishing, trapping that historically, if you take a look at, at conservation activities across North America, that's the group of people who have always pushed conservation. They're the ones that started the first um, national parks across North America. They're the ones that pushed for regulations around hunting and trapping and fishing. Mm -hmm. um, so those really are the people who have uh, put their time and energy and money yeah. into conservation activities. Big time. Um, like you look at Theodore Roosevelt, for exactly. example, in the States, like one yep. of the most notorious presidents for, for being an avid hunter and, and, and fisherman and all that. And meanwhile, he's responsible for the largest plots of land in, you know, United States history for yep. being conserved and, and taken from private into public land. Right. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think people have a hard time making that connection that the people that are actually out there experiencing the outdoors are the ones that want to make sure it's around, right? It's weird. They think that like hunting means that you, you you're just a, a bloodthirsty killer. You like the killing. And it's uh, something my dad always said was that, uh, he's like, I don't, I don't hunt to kill. I kill to have hunted. Right. Yeah. yeah I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but you know, I can see it though. If, if you're not a hunter, that's something that, that it doesn't dawn on you until you've actually had the experience and realize yeah. the, the, the actual killing of the animal is a small part of it. And it, it's not that, that's not the experience. It's yeah. everything else. It's getting up early in the morning. It's uh, being out there at sunrise. It's, you know, well, yeah. yesterday I was out minus 18, sitting, yeah. you know, waiting <laughs> for an animal to come by. It was cold, but it was just crisp. It was just perfect. the experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's something, yeah, as a non-hunter, I could see why people don't get that. 
but that's part of what I think we have to work on as hunters is to try to get those people to at least come out and experience once. They don't have to start hunting, but understand the experience. There's more of a connection there for sure. Yeah. What doesn't help us though is every once in a while you get the bad apple hunters who do exactly what people are concerned about and then put it on the internet. Yeah. And that's what makes us all look bad. And the, so. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's the 1%, right? Yeah. They're just, yeah, thanks yeah, guys. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's not a good situation. And yeah, that's, that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on, right? Is yeah. to kind of... I was trying to find somebody that could bring on that could talk about how that relation exists, right? The conservation and the hunting and mm-hmm. fishing and all that. Cause I think people think that, you know, well, I'm in, I'm, I live or not me. I'm just saying like a person that lives in the city that likes to go hiking or, or snowboarding or something once a year, twice a year. They think that like, well, I have strong values about the environment. I want to protect it. I want to make sure it's around, but they've never actually contributed financially in any way to conserving those lands, right? Where we can say that, people who have paid the paid into hunting and fishing licenses, they, they pay annually for that. They're the ones supporting it directly. Right. And yeah, it's, 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 it's confusing. I think for people to wrap their heads around, but yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think, you know, there's anybody who's a hunter, a long time ethical hunter is wants to make sure it's a sustainable activity. So that's the first thing people worry about is, you know, will I be able to undertake this, this activity in mm-hmm. the future? And as soon as, you know, numbers start to drop, those are the people who start to raise the flag that there's yep. an issue here. I haven't seen as many does running around this year. So mm-hmm. what's going on? Or yep. if there's a harsh, harsh winter, that's the first thing you hear the hunters come and talk to the government about is we had a bad winter. Chances yep. are the numbers are down. So what are we going to do to make sure we don't over harvest this coming year? Yeah. And I think that's certainly part of what, what gets missed for the, the non-hunting public. For sure. Um, you know, those people who, who are in the cities and do things like, you know, go snowboarding, like you say, aren't contributing financially, but they do have strong values about what they think is important. But I find oftentimes their, their values aren't based on as much knowledge as what the average person who's spending some time out there. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just makes sense. You know, if you're actually going out there three, four or five weekends in the fall, mm-hmm. you start to see some things and, and you, uh, you, you appreciate you, it. Yeah. You base your opinion on actual knowledge you've, you've achieved as opposed to hearing a, a news report sometime. And, you know, as you're sitting in your apartment in Edmonton and say, Oh, that sounds bad. Yeah. yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of the way society works, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah. You think about spending like say somebody spends like this year, I think I, I hunted 20 days. I shot one animal because I was hunting with the bow the whole time. Right. But mm-hmm. see, even, even with a rifle, when I was rifle hunting, you spend majority of your time, not shooting stuff. Like you Absolutely. spend yeah. most of your time and money. You, you're out there watching woodpeckers and, and, and whatever, whatever uh, things that you're not going to harvest, walk around and you're enjoying it. Right. If you're sitting in a tree stand, you got owls coming in and whatever. Right. So that's, I think, for people to keep going out there like that and not getting that gain until that very end, right? It's there's obviously something else there besides killing. It's obviously something more spiritual than that, more more connectivity to the to nature or whatever, right? Like it's it's definitely a yeah, an, a humbling experience to be out there with nature and actually see them function without human interaction, right? So besides yeah. driving down the highway and seeing a deer scatter, right? Like you're not really watching them in their natural habitat. You're just kind of like, oh look, there's a deer, but like they're completely aware you're there. They're not acting normally they're acting differently right yeah. so yeah absolutely yeah i would definitely have an uh, uh, unique uh, opportunity for sure to, to see that kind of stuff so yeah yeah, yeah and the, and the other thing we're trying to sort of promote and make people sort of think a little bit more about is once you've harvested that deer i mean there's a lot of people very concerned about where's their food coming from nowadays yeah you know, food safety issues you mm-hmm. know has this, this animal been raised ethically that sort of thing well in the case of you harvesting a deer or a moose 
it's been raised just fine. It was raised naturally. So you know yep. exactly that. And from the time you harvest it to the time you get home, you know what's happening with that meat because you're in control of it. So yep. that's something that's actually starting to appeal to a lot more uh, younger adults, I'd say. I see that I'm as well. look at that for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, big time. I think like realistically the only reason, the only, the only argument I can see against hunting is if you're like a vegan or a vegetarian, which is, that's the only, besides that, like if you eat meat at all, like and you're, opposed to hunting i feel like you're you're not taking into consideration the whole picture right you're missing up uh, some giant pieces of the puzzle there so oh but, yeah certainly if you're if, yeah. if you're eating uh, eating meat uh, yeah there's this is definitely there's uh, nothing negative to be said about harvesting yourself that's for sure no and you know if you're a vegan and a vegetarian you can i guess try to take the moral high ground and say you're not killing any animals but the number one cause of population declines across the world is habitat loss and so where do you think those vegetables are being grown yeah it's on what used to be wildlife habitat yeah. so we all have an impact on on wildlife one way or the other so yeah oh no for sure you can't yeah you're, you're never going to be yeah you're never going to be totally free of of, of that yeah, that aspect of, of, of animals dying, right? Like Absolutely. it's just, that's part of the ecosystem. That's the world we live in. But yeah, it's, it matter whether or not you're taking direct responsibility for the animal dying or whether or not you're letting somebody else do it. Yeah, true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll start getting into, I was thinking like the population counts in that. Mm-hmm. You, you brought up uh, like hunters talking about, like say we had a bad white tail year, like the 2012, um, the winter we had there, From things that I read said that we lost somewhere like 60% of the white tail population in the province. Is that true or is that inflated? <laughs> Uh, I think it probably well, it varied significantly depending on where you were in the exactly, province for yeah, sure. So I'm sure in some portions they probably easily lost sixty yeah. percent. Yeah, absolutely. Is that is that is that normal? Or does that happen? It is. It is normal, and not just in Alberta, but just across North America. It's mm. and certainly in Alberta, weather really is what drives most of our ungulate populations, deer in particular. Um, you know, if we get four or five uh, easy winters, we'll see our populations of whitetail just skyrocket through mm-hmm. the roof. And, uh, you know, you get one bad winter and it hammers them and drops them right back down again. Yeah. So it's, it, it certainly is just something that drives our, our populations here in Alberta. You know, the impact of bad weather is compounded by uh, habitat quality, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, if deer have lots of good overwinter habitat, so, you know, uh, good canopy cover to intercept snow and where they can get thermal cover and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, well, the bad winter is not going to be quite as bad for right. them. But if we have the bad winter and there's a lack of good habitat, then you're going to get that much more of an impact on is, it. Um, is, is snow depth the biggest uh, the biggest problem with that towards ungulate populations? or it's um, Well, it'll be snow depth and as well just sort of the hardness of snow. So if you get, uh, well, like oh. we're about to have this week is uh, we went from really uh, cold temperatures and we're going to warm up again, which is going to make that snow that we have on the ground very wet. And if yeah. we drop to minus 18 again, it's going to form an ice pack. Uh. So if those deer can't get through that ice down to food yeah that's going to be the problem so we might not need any more snow this year and it could end up being a really harsh winter just because it freezes solid and they can't get down to the ground to get the food that they need yeah it's not good based off of like i mean last year look at last winter we didn't have a whole lot of snow but we had like january there was like two or three weeks in january we were above zero yeah and then it snowed and rained and snowed and rained and snowed and it's just like i can't imagine that the chaos that that reaped on the on, on the populations right because I mean, I guess it's not necessarily that they can't get at it. It's more that it takes more calories to get at it than it does. So they just slowly starve it. Yeah, right? yeah. Basically, it yeah. Talk, takes more energy than what they're going to get out of it. And right. and in this case, I'm talking about you know a lot of the deer that are are depending upon um, you know grain drops that are or grain uh, kernels that are laying on the ground in fields and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more of the uh, 
the uh, agriculture areas. Right. Um, if you're talking sort of more the northern and the, the forested areas, then you just have an, uh, the issue of you know how hard is it for them to just walk walk across the snow? You yeah. Know, they're breaking through all the time, and that yeah, you know, every little bit of extra energy takes them to get the food that counts yeah. towards their you know they're reducing their chances of making through the whole winter. It's not like they have snowshoes on; they got toothpicks for feet, and they're just Pound, uh, exactly through it, yeah. And uh, you know, in your areas where wolves are, if the the deer are a little slower, the wolves are a little quicker. Yeah. Then you know the wolves got to eat too. So doesn't take much. Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, population count. So how do you guys? Uh, I mean, obviously it differs from from species to species. Uh, I just want to talk in general, but like, how do you how do you do it? Like, what is the, what is the frequency? Like, do you do say like grizzly bears every year or whitetails every year or does it split up kind of the funding is spread out year to year or what so uh from the uh the ungulate side of thing deer moose elk that sort of thing we are not really involved in the in the accounts anymore we were oh. up to uh four or five years ago okay um, but um essentially it's it's aerial survey so you put crews in fixed wing uh, aircraft and you fly designated uh, routes and really? essentially count the number of animals that you can see that's how um, they do like the. That's how, how do they you do, do it? that in the north. And, and well, like, that's <laughs> it's. Uh, it can't possibly be effective. They have uh, they run through statistical models that try well, to deal with uh, yeah. how much are we seeing versus how much are we not seeing, and so is there a variation? Absolutely, there's a uh, huge variance in you know what that that number ends up being, but it's you know mm. essentially the best method they have. Uh, for cheapest, trying to figure it out cheapest and best well yeah yeah i don't know it's really necessarily that cheap but it's well, the yeah. only way they have of getting any idea of how many animals there are mm. um i'm just imagining but, flying over flying over like the bush in the north like up by manning or slave lake or something like that and trying to see through the canopy and, and find a deer down there right like it's yep. Especially in a fixed wing, it's not like you're in a helicopter where you can kind of stop. Oh, was that a, okay? You're just you're just going over, yeah. right? So basically, uh, um, they must be low to the ground. They're well, I mean, and they will use in some cases. They will use helicopters as well, depending upon where they are. But um, yeah, I mean, they have to wait to get the right snow conditions so you can pick up tracks. So you can get an idea. Okay, there should be an animal nearby. I see <laughs> fresh tracks, so let's see if we can find them. Because they're also trying to figure out is this uh, a male or female. Uh, depending mm. upon what species they're doing, they might be looking at antlers size as well a large medium small kind of thing really uh, okay. but that's that i mean that's essentially what we've relied on for years here in alberta to try and get some idea of where the populations are and as a result um it is expensive to do each of our our management units so most management units you know if we're lucky if they get done you know maybe once every 10 years if there's a particular unit that uh, is having issues they'll go back to it you know more often okay uh, but uh, i mean the ones up north that you're talking about, yeah. If they get done once every decade, we're probably lucky just because oh, really? of the resources that are available and, gotcha. and what it takes to try and do a unit like that. Hmm. You know, and if it's an area like that where there aren't that many hunters, not that much pressure, there isn't as much concern mm -hmm. as it might be maybe along the east slopes where a lot of people a are going people. out there hunting and we are more concerned about where the populations are, that sort of thing. So, that makes sense. So ungulates are, are problematic. Um, do you think that those are like, so if they're, if they're flying, sorry, just to cut you off yep. for a split second. No. Um, so do you think that maybe they're, they're driving those, those the tag availabilities based off of uh, harvest reports from, from hunters so, and stuff? Yeah. So okay. that certainly there is other, um, data that the government biologists are using. Certainly the harvest reports are using. And also when you be honest, they're taking feedback from hunters and landowners. Okay. 
So it's all so they're they're actually getting real you know real world actual on the ground yeah and, information. and a lot of times what they're doing is saying well you know the hunters are telling me there's no animals out there um, maybe we should take a survey and see whether or not it lines up and if in fact the survey comes back and says yeah we don't find any okay it's odds up or if right. the survey comes back and says no there's lots of animals well then there's a question of what's going on are they maybe mm. moved yeah you know away from where the hunters are so you know that that's just a yeah. hunter finding them issue exactly um, yeah so, there's always that yeah. yeah so it's not it's not based just on the counts. They, they certainly lose uh, a lot of different information to try to come up with, but it's it's far from being an exact science. Well, it's yeah, just, how would it ever be, yeah. right? You're, you got to run algorithms and models to make it work, right? Yeah. I'm just I was just kind of curious as to how the frequency and how that all kind of works out. So, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, for things like grizzly bears, we've been working with the government for the last couple of years in a, uh, a couple of different locations, uh, collecting hair samples. So essentially, mm. um, what we've been doing is uh, down south. Um, a couple of uh, government contract workers had identified a bunch of um, what they call rub trees. So these are trees that historically bears and it appears other animals have been coming to and just rubbing on them, just kind of like scent posts. Yeah, scratching the back. Yeah, basically that's exactly <laughs> it. So you know we uh, we went out there and uh, put barbed wire on these uh, these trees and collected hair samples um, and provided those to the government, sent off to a lab, and basically they're doing a population estimate doing uh, using genetics. Right. Um, so we've done that uh, in the southwest uh, corner of the province, and we just finished uh, up in the, in the northwest corner. Um, I think the government this year, we're not going to be directly involved, but they'll be doing it around, uh, I believe it's Swan Hills this year. So they're trying to get a, a count uh, basically all along the, the slopes of the province mm. where the majority of the bears are, are hanging out. Are they getting lots of black bear hair in there yeah, too? Yeah, the we Swan certainly, Hills especially, I yeah, would think. Yeah. We certainly get pick up a lot of black bear as yeah. well, yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's probably enough data there to run black bear numbers, but at this point, That's not you know, black bear is not really an, an issue. <laughs> we know we've got lots and lots of black bears running around the province, so yeah. it's not where they're going to spend the money right now. Gotcha. Um, you know, other things like uh, crow species, Again, they're a very difficult species to get a good handle on. Yeah, uh, can't even see them when you're walking right past uh, them, let exactly. alone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, for some of the uh, the species that use uh, dancing grounds, lex, like sharp tails, yeah. um, we've been doing historical surveys of the number of lex across the province. Lex. And What's so le- lek is is basically the where the males would come to display in the spring. So uh. some species will you basically congregate in certain locations and uh, the males will spend their time dancing around and, and uh, making noises to try and track the females and the females sit back in the grass and <laughs> see who's doing the best job and saying, all right, that guy looks pretty cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, he's who I'm going to hook up with. Um, but these are historical sites that they'll come back to year after year. Um, gotcha. So we'll, we'll count those and get an idea that numbers are up or down. Okay. So it'll give us a trend line, but it, it doesn't give us an absolute count. Right. Um, that is one of the uh, things we're going to be working on for the next couple of years here with the provincial government is um, trying to figure out a better way to get a count on grouse species like uh, uh, rough grouse or, or uh, spruce grouse. Right. So the, more of the forest grouse that you know people, uh, more people tend to hunt them when they're off doing something else. So yeah, I'm going moose hunting, but yeah. I'm going to bring my shotgun with me because if I happen to see a grouse, I'll you know, harvest a grouse as, yeah. as well. That's mostly how I do it. <laughs> yeah, and I think most people probably do it exactly, just yeah. opportunistically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really have good numbers on, on them, but some parts of the province, uh, people have reported that those uh, grouse numbers seem to be quite low. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to start looking at, you know, how do we do this? Is it 
is it better that we start um, getting the hunters themselves involved and maybe we contact you and say, hey, we you know notice you hunt in this area all the other time based on your survey. This year, would you be willing to be one of our survey guys? Oh, okay. Be a little hmm. more um, accurate in how many hours did you actually spend? Be very looking, specific. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to, well, I think I got eight this season kind of thing, which right. is you know, usually how it ends because you fill it out at the end of the season and then you're trying to remember hmm, what was it now. Yeah, that's the way I'm always, oh, what? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe we go that way and, and select some people to be, to ask them if they, uh, okay. maybe we supply them with a, a smartphone app of some type that yeah. every time you're out there, you know, punch this in. That's really smart. That's that that utilizes those resources. Why yeah, not, right? Yeah. You got um, foot soldiers, use them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've been working with University of Alberta, Dr. Mark Boyce. Um, he developed uh, the Moose app. I don't know if you'd heard of that. So it's a no. similar kind of idea where the government has sent out notices to uh, everybody who drew a moose tag saying there's this app mm-hmm. you can download this app and track the number of hours you spend out hunting and what you see all the time uh, I should download and that so yeah. uh, what what uh, Dr. Boyce has now seen over the last four years of testing this is the numbers that uh, he's seen correlate very well with any of the aerial surveys that have been done That's so good. we might be able to help there you know get information for a larger number of uh, wildlife management units without having the cost of uh, having to fly all the time. Yeah, that's huge. So that's, you can get that correlation a, yeah, and use yeah, it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we also do counts on, um, you know, other non-game species. You know, we uh, piping plovers is an endangered species that we work on a fair bit. And uh, we do five-year counts for piping plovers in national survey. So we... Uh, on That's a, year a bird. To, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It's a, a small yeah. little uh, shorebird, basically. Oh, okay, gotcha. And it, uh, it's like a grebe or it, uh, no, no. It's uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what it would be most like. Basically, it stands. I don't know, maybe about six inches tall. So, oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. it's a tiny little guy. Gotcha. And um, sort of like a uh, killdeer. Oh, okay. So a lot of people will be familiar with killdeer. Gotcha. So similar, similar okay. killdeer. They confuse with killdeer quite a bit. So, but they they fly uh, south along the. Um, Texas uh, coast uh, for the uh, winter time and uh, gotcha. fly the whole way back up here. They're unique in that they uh, will nest on gravel beaches, um, usually a fairly saline lake. So they're looking for lakes where the water has come down and left gravel exposed, but huh. where vegetation isn't coming in very quickly. So Why would if, that be? Just how they've adapted to. I mean, they, when what's you, in there for food? If it's saline, there's lots of salt. There's what's um, the... well, they they feed in a lot, lots of insects along the shoreline. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but you know, when you when you see their eggs, their eggs blend in perfectly. They look like little pebbles. Oh, so I that's see. Really, what so they're just doing is just they uh, have a very shallow little nest, drop a couple situation. eggs in there, and uh, yeah, they blend in really well. Gotcha. Um, but you know, they've. Uh, Saline lakes are uh, limited, so their habitat is limited. If water levels come up, then it's gone for a couple of years, and water mm. levels go down, then it appears again. So, uh, you know, it's a species that uh, we keep track of um, for the government. Uh, we do counts of um, uh, snakes, uh, various hibernaculums. I ran in. This blew my mind. And I, I see you see uh, garter snakes and stuff around Edmonton yep. and Saskatchewan and that. I was up in uh, Canfor's FMA in Grand Prairie, south of Grand Prairie off the trunk road. And I found a, a like a baby garter snake just in the middle of the boreal, like in, under the thimbleberry. I'd never seen one in just in the bush like that, oh, right? Yeah. It was just yeah. coming out of the tent. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I, I guess you just, 
I guess they're there. I just never see them because they blend in so perfectly, right? And they just yep. avoid you. But that was the first time I noticed them not in like the prairie type area, yep. right? And in the true bush, like where there's no, there's nothing around for, you know, 60 or 70 clicks, but, but bush, right? So that was, that was an interesting moment for me. It was, yeah. 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 Well, they, they extend right up in the Northwest Territories into Wood Buffalo National Park there. That's wild. So yeah, they're, they're uh, across the province and, you know, uh, the best place to find, we're talking about boreal, is you check out some ponds where there's uh, tadpoles and uh, oh, yeah. as those tadpoles start to become little frogs come out of the water, you'll see all kinds of uh, very large female snakes there feeding on them, trying to uh, get big and fat before they give birth. That makes sense. Yeah. You always find those 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 ponds in the, in the middle of the summertime that have been kind of cut off from a water source and there's just hundreds or thousands of tadpoles in them, yep. right, that are half formed. Yep. And you know that if it you know, if it gets too hot, they're all going to die. But yeah. That's yeah. a, yeah, it's a weird situation that they, I guess they got to find a stagnant pool to, to, to plant their, or to stuff their eggs in. Right. So yep. yeah, it's a crazy one. What, so what, what are the other species of snakes we have in the province? I know we've got rattlesnakes, garter snakes, uh, uh, bull snakes, bull, bull well. snakes yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So those would be the, the ones most likely Maybe. that you'll see. Yeah. What's the, what's the Northern range of, uh, like rattlesnakes and bull snakes? Roughly. Oh, you're asking the wrong guy. I, <laughs> not not very far uh, north. In like would they I mean, be in Edmonton, at, maybe? No, 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 you wouldn't find them. It, you're talking down around Medicine Hat area. Like right. You're basically we're at the northern limit in in Alberta. You, yeah, you know. So I saw my first rattlesnake in Medicine Hat this last summer. Actually, walking through the dog park in, in the hat, and yeah, sure enough, you hear yeah. that, that noise, right? I'm like, oh Jesus, like just like an evolutionary thing, right? Yeah. Like I never heard it, but I knew exactly what it was. Yeah, and I was like, okay, grab the dog, let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's a crazy one yeah, yeah i never i never seen them so it was something something else for me to, to run into that well it's something to think about from a, a guy who who spends most of his time up here doing his hunting when you're crawling across the prairies along the milk river ridge and then stop for a second think well, i where where exactly would i find a rattlesnake down here right? <laughs> yeah 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 right where i am yeah. right now yeah Perfect. basically yeah I've, <laughs> I've crawled up a coulee in the morning looking for elk and then walked back down in the afternoon and rattlesnake was right where i'd crawled and, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah it gives you the heebie-jeebies for sure yeah. yeah yeah oh that's crazy yeah. yeah they're they're an interesting species that i'm i'm glad we don't have them in Edmonton. <laughs> but also they'd be cool to see but yeah absolutely they are yeah um I noticed on your guys' website you have a, lot, a little bit about uh, like wolverines and that. How do you go about the same thing, aerial for, for wolverines? Uh, no, wolverines. So it's interesting. So wolverines and basically all the other fur bearers we have in this province, there are no counts. Right. Nobody really has any idea how many we have in the province. They're just too sparse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would, it, yeah, it's impossible to see them from the air, really. I mean, you might fly around and see one, but, yeah. you know, that, that's all you're going to do. Um, so. We've been involved with uh, a project uh, with a graduate student out of the University of Alberta and uh, Dr. Mark Boyce as well. Um, and he started it, oh, probably now six, seven years ago in the Rainbow Lake area. And um, basically what they did was they uh, built uh, log traps. So essentially a log box with a drop top on it. Oh, okay. And so it's so not a lethal are, trap, just a... No, no, yeah. just for live trapping them. So essentially you stick a chunk of beaver inside the trap attached to a uh, string. And when he pulls on the beaver, the string pulls the stick and down comes a big log. I imagine uh, the inside of those so, traps are messed right up yeah, when you get back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these, these logs are, you know, eight inches in diameter. And in some cases, yeah, the wolverines have chewed almost the whole way through the log by the time we get there. But, I can uh, believe that. So um, they spent uh, several years essentially putting radio transmitters on these 
these wolverines and following around and getting an idea of um, their home range. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they've been able to, uh, they are developing a density estimate for that area. And we've continued that work now over um, in Birch Mountain. So uh, yeah. well, I guess it'd be west of Fort McMurray. Yeah. Um, and the Rainbow Lake area is supposed to be an area with um, a lot of industrial development. And they were looking at, you know, what's the industrial development done to Wolverine numbers. Mm-hmm. And now Birch Mountains is an area where there's basically no industrial development. So what do we see there compared to uh, yeah. Rainbow Lake? Um, but, you know, with these data, we're hoping that we'll be able to, I guess, provide a rough idea of the number of Wolverines we would expect in the boreal forest of Alberta, just based on the densities we're seeing and, mm. and habitat use. So if you have X number of habitat, uh, you know, one Wolverine per X amount of habitat, you know, do the multiplication and there you go. We have this many Wolverines. Right. Again, not an exact science, but it gives you a rough idea anyways of lots or yeah. little. I'll just say, I hate, I hate to, to put you on the spot, but like, what do you think, what's the estimates right now for Wolverine populations in the province? Uh, to be honest, I don't even know. Don't I don't even know. know okay. Them, I, I, what I do know is in the, the Rainbow Lake area, um, they, uh, and I, I don't know what their number was now, but um, when I went to the presentation for the graduate student, the numbers were well above what they ever expected just oh, density-wise. Really? Okay. Um, I mean, the expectation was that um, human disturbance up there would result in fewer wolverines because that's always been the uh, the hypothesis that human disturbance, disturbance yeah, bothers wolverines and wolverines will stay away from it. But what uh, we seem to have found is a lot of the industrial development up there is just seasonal. So there's winter uh, roads that are put in, yeah. but you know, a truck goes down there every week or so just to check a well site. Right. It's not like you got lots of traffic on it. So there's actually fairly minimal disturbance, even though if you look in an uh, air photo, you know, there's roads everywhere. Right. And when these roads were put in, um, the gravel was needed. So there's uh, gravel pits or little... Um, which are now ponds right? <laughs> uh, because it's fairly wet up there. So yep. they dug out the gravel to make the, the road, which yep. then result in these ponds. And these ponds have been, um, we've had beavers move into the ponds. <laughs> yeah. So he created a food source full of the wolverines. And that's sort of the, the current running hypothesis. We've got good numbers of wolverines there because you've got a great food source. And the level of human disturbance really isn't that much. Yeah, they okay. certainly sp- found an avoidance on uh, roads with a lot of traffic. Yeah. The wolverines stayed away from it. But these roads where, you know, a guy just drove down once every every week or so, wolverines didn't seem to mind that as much. So okay. it's quite an interesting result out of that. So, so they're not they're not typically like, like wolf populations are, where they'll utilize uh, linear disturbances to kind of hunt they, they, they tend to stay away from it yeah they didn't seem to okay. show that they were running down the, the roads or anything like that they, okay. they crossed them but you know okay but, uh, yeah the, the the beavers showing up in such uh, large numbers there was something no one's really expecting no one really thought about just, but, brand, just start finding spots and yeah like, perfect yeah, look at this yeah, nice exactly. habitat <laughs> yeah exactly. that's amazing that's cool yeah um yeah i remember when i was a kid i ran into i was hunting uh south of slave lake and uh, I ran into a track that was like, I didn't know. I was like, what the hell is this track? I've never seen this before in my entire life, right? And I still think to this day that it was a Wolverine track. And this would be up kind of by Grizzly Ridge. Uh, so like getting into the Swan Hills mm-hmm. kind of area, right? So would there, is there Wolverines in that area? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So I'm not crazy. No, <laughs> no, it could very well be a Wolverine, yeah. Oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen one, but uh, I've definitely seen the tracks. That's a... Uh, I imagine they're pretty skittish animals too, probably. Eh? Oh yeah, there's no like doubt about it. Like similar to wolves yeah, and stuff, they're just staring yeah, clear you, people. You're 
really lucky if you get to see one in the wild for sure no yeah doubt about it yeah. have you seen one uh i've seen one from a helicopter and i've seen one on the ground yeah. nice yeah but yeah. Uh, both of those are in bc so Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially in Alberta, everything's so dense. It's not like we can, it's not like we have these vast open areas of, of, you know, parkland where we can just see, you know, oh, there's a bunch of elk over there. There's a wolverine. There's a grizzly bear. That's not, yeah. We don't have a lot of that in the province, right? Yeah. It's mostly pretty thick timber. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Crazy. Um, so talking about all these, all these predators like grizzly bears and wolves and stuff like that. Um, I think there's some confusion with people around the, like the state of those charismatic predators right in in the province like yeah the grizzly bears and wolverines and stuff uh can you maybe speak to the, the the state of those animals here like are they are they doing well are they are they are they still considered like endangered and stuff or um yeah i, I mean i can speak a little bit about i don't unfortunately don't have the numbers in front of me here but i i mean i do know that uh you know black bear population basically at this point from the, the information that i've seen indicates that essentially all of our large carnivores in this province are doing very well. Okay. Um, you look at black bears and, uh, you know, there's black bears all over the province. Um, there's been a lot of good research out of the University of Alberta recently on cougar populations and the numbers of cougars are way more than anybody figured because no one ever sees them. They're very... They're so sneaky. Yeah, they're very secretive. <laughs> you know, they're usually only moving around at night. Uh, you know, I, I live out in, um, in Strathcona County on the east side of Edmonton here. And, uh, you know, there's cougars running around people's backyards and their acreages. I mean, yeah. They don't know they're there, but we now have pictures of them on trail cameras. Right? Yeah. So cougar numbers are doing really well. Um, and they're they're basically following deer, deer populations. Um, wolf numbers, you know, there we seem to have wolves in just about every square meter of potential wolf habitat that's out there. So they're doing well. Um, and at this point, grizzly bears are the only thing that people seem to question but all indications that uh, we seem to be finding now is uh, grizzly bear numbers are doing well they seem to be uh, increasing okay uh, we're certainly not seeing a decline in them uh, and you know the new uh, uh, data that the government's collecting here with the uh, hair samples we've done the genetics analysis should give us a, a pretty good population estimate and give an idea of you know what the numbers gotcha. I do know that um, you know grizzlies are moving out of uh, what what we now would consider the traditional range. Certainly, you know, 100 years ago, they, they were a whole way across the province. But, yeah. you know, as of today, we would think, well, it's usually along the mountains and, you know, in the thick forest. But they're now starting to find them out in the grasslands south of Lethbridge. Right. So they're moving out of that area and expanding. You know, some people have argued that it's, well, because of being forced out because of industrial development. Uh, I don't know whether or not that's the case. Right. Uh, you know, you're finding... Um, uh, two years ago, we had a uh, sow that denned and actually had cubs in the grasslands. Oh, really? So oh. That's that's where they used to den. Yeah, you know, that's certainly that's part a, that's of historical yeah. historical habitat. Grizzly right? bears are adapted for uh, prairies. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. um, just, Big long you know, claws for digging. Exactly. And, yeah. But when we showed up, we pushed them out of that area. But they seem to be moving back in and move out of the way. It's yeah. ours. <laughs> so, so it's going to be interesting. The, the big issue would be uh, come down. Well, how do you manage a species like that? And manage the human conflict that's going to come with it. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know if you want to speak to this or not. It's kind of outside of your scope of of uh, jurisdiction. But, for example, the like the grizzly bear hunt in in BC, right? How they're going to start banning that. And I think for people who think that the grizzly bears are endangered species, it seems like a, a noble idea to 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 stop that hunt. But from my understanding, it sounds like where they're banning those hunts in the north is 
they're littered with them. And there's people that live in those areas that have to deal with it day to day. And it's just, I'm, I'm just curious to see what you're, what, I, I don't know anything about it just f- from what I've heard. So I, I'm not claiming to be an expert on it anyway, but I figure you might have more of insight into that situation. Yeah. Well, this should be a good conversation too then because neither one of us are experts in it. And Perfect. I'm just going based on what I heard too. We'll so, just pontificate yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, certainly everything I've read has actually indicated that it, it's not that grizzly bear hunting is banned. It's trophy hunting of grizzly bears is banned. Oh, So you can no longer take the high the head or the claws so you can only take the meat so you can only take the meat gotcha um now which effectively i think is probably eliminates the um outfitting trade i mean there there might still be people willing to pay just to have a photo with the grizzly bear and and, uh you know if if i were to shoot a Mm. bear i'd have no need to take all that back with me i could just have a photo of the experience and take the meat i'd be fine with that yeah but i would expect that's probably what you're going to see is just numbers being killed will drop because you're not going to have people flying in from the states who can no longer bring the bear back Um, you know i don't know i guess we'll wait to see um, the interesting thing is that when the government announced it, the minister did say that this decision was not based on that biology. Was, There's yeah. no science behind it. The population can be sustained with the hunting pressure that's occurring. It's because of public pressure we're making the decision. From people that don't mm-hmm. live in the area. Yeah, which is it's, unfortunate given that you know all management agencies across this country state that their decisions are based on science yeah and that's that's a like we can't start going down that road like pretending that the public is educated in in situations right like you wouldn't yeah that's that doesn't sound like a good situation right i would i wouldn't go to like an artist and ask them how we should drill for oil because they're not going to know like it's just they don't have an educated useful opinion on it right so it's yeah, that seems dangerous. It, science it's, is a good thing. We should definitely hold on to science. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it's certainly an interesting thing, but as uh, I think as a biologist, it's something that I'm used to. It's one of the few natural resources out there where everybody gets an opinion. And it, of course. And, and it seems to be treated the same as whether or not you have a PhD in biology or whether or not, as you say, you're an artist, your opinion counts the same when, when it comes to making decisions about yeah. wildlife and wildlife management. Yeah, they're a charismatic animal, yeah. right? Like people yeah. just, they just like them on the landscape. And I, I think people get confused. They think that like the hunters want to destroy these animals. You want to kill these animals. You want to blah, 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 whatever, right? Think yeah. The, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's it's just, like I personally, I don't really have, I, I don't really like bear meat all that much. I'm not like grizzly bear meat. I don't know what that tastes like, but um, I'm not personally a bear hunter but like I, I have a lot of people that are and it's important to like to go black bear hunting especially in alberta where we've got such an abundance of them right like they're they're everywhere it seems like yeah um but i could see why it's important to manage that species right like they need to be managed in some state especially considering there's people on the on the landscape right we've had i've had this conversation a couple of times on the podcast how as soon as as soon as our urban sprawl or our just just our communities have moved into the to the forest land we need to start managing for those species because if you just let mother nature take its course it's going to wreak havoc on all kinds of things right you don't know what the repercussions are going to be because we're a new totally different dominant dominant predator basically on the landscape that's you know what i mean we're totally changing everything so we have the ability to manage it and make sure things stay the way the way they are we should probably take that opportunity right yeah there there certainly um i think it's often a misconception that if we just left nature alone it'd be fine and the problem is we've already messed up nature. So yeah. if we had left it alone from the very beginning, nature would be fine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you say, we've already gone in there and messed up the ecosystem. We, we've caused issues in it. So yeah, there is a need uh, for us to have to manage these species somehow. And that's yeah. that's really what's, what's uh, 
I'm, I guess I'm looking to see what's going to happen in BC because now the wildlife managers have an important tool taken away from them. So yeah. I would guess you're probably going to see just as many grizzly bears shot, but now they're going to be shot by enforcement officers because they're in someone's home or in the garbage dump or whatever. That's the thing, right? Um, so now so you're paying to shoot those animals. Yeah. They're going to get shot either way. So now you're paying rather than getting paid to. Right? Yeah. And I think we can all agree that if someone's paying to do something rather than the government paying to do it, it's probably better for taxpayers, right? So it's, yeah, it's a weird, It's but that's another impossible one, right? Like, yep. nope, it, it, it seems like one of those arguments you, you're never going to convince someone's mind and, and to change their mind, right? Like, it's just not going to nope, happen. If, I think it's to say the same thing to, about us, yep, right? Absolutely. Well, we're, they're, we're, they're never going to change their mind talking about us. But, I mean, I don't know, I feel like if you have science on your side, it's kind of hard to argue, right? Like, it's, I mean, there's all kinds of, I'm sure there's conflicting evidence, but... Yeah, you never know. So that's a yeah. It's, it's just I just wanted to speak to you about that quickly because yeah. I thought you might have some insight. But yeah, it's an interesting topic. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, like the ACA is into everything. Like you guys are into another one that I I uh, I don't know anything about. Is the old uh, Rocky Mountain jackfish there? <laughs> the bull trout situation. Right. Um, so what's what like what's the bull trout situation like in in in, in Alberta now? Because I know it's been they've been a, a endangered species for a while, but uh, yeah, yes. how's that looking? Well, I mean, there certainly are some uh, systems where we're starting to see some recovery, but I mean, bull trout is a species that depends upon uh, clean, cold water. Yeah. Uh, without that, they just don't do well. Mm. Um, and uh, the reality is, you know, with the level of industrial development we have in this province, we end up causing a lot of damage to our streams, whether it's directly through siltation or indirectly through increasing water temperatures because we don't have uh, you know, the same forest cover around the, right. even just the little ephemeral streams that run into these creeks. Once the forest cover is gone, those ephemeral streams will warm up and that pours into the main creek so the water is warmer, all mm. those kinds of things. So, Well, hanging culverts and stuff like hanging that Hanging culverts problem, yeah. certainly cause issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say there's certainly some positive stories where we've seen a recovery of the bull trout, mm -hmm. but uh, for the most part, it's you know there's still a concern. It's, we're doing a, it's okay. Yeah, we're uh, we're doing a fair bit of work um, for the government trying to identify critical spawning areas mm -hmm. uh, and trying to monitor the spawning populations to see you know whether or not we're at least uh, staying stable as opposed to declining. Right, but they're they're still a, a species of concern for, for sure. sure. Yeah, okay. no doubt about it. Uh, along with Arctic grayling, I mean, that's another right. species that's dependent upon the, the clean, clear water, and mm -hmm. it's the same sort of issue we have with them. Um, so it's just, but you know, it comes down to as a province, we've got to make that decision as to yeah, you know, what are we willing to give up uh, some revenue on one side for these species, and you know, a lot of the a lot of the companies involved, I think, are quite willing to make changes. Um, so I think it's mm -hmm. just a matter of have, ensuring we can get the the government guys in the same room with the companies and uh, decide what can we do here. That have a civil discussion about yeah, what's yeah, basically. I, yeah, like yeah. I just had a few podcasts ago. We were talking about caribou and industry and recovery plan there and that kind of stuff, right? And it's those types of issues are always when it comes to like industry and jobs and conservation. I feel like people pick sides and they refuse to see the the, the moderate position that you can yeah. take right like it's I, I i like people look at like oil and gas companies or forestry companies or whatever and they might think uh oh they don't they don't give a shit about conservation or like they're just trying to get their money and get out right and it's like well that's if they're a smart business they're absolutely not thinking that because how are they supposed to be a sustainable business over time if they're just 
out there removing everything and ruining their their sustainability of their business, right? So I think I think most businesses haven't, or most industries haven't uh, invested interest into making sure that the like the environment is sustainable and we keep things kind of the way they are as much as possible, right? And I'm not saying it's being done the best. I'm not saying it can't be done better. So of course it can be, but I think. I'm more talking to the mindset of these people, right? People think that people that work for these companies are maybe they they have no consideration for conservation, right? But I I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I hope it's not the case. But it's it's, it's definitely an important issue. I think people I think it's not like people are out there evil, like saying you know what I mean. Like we should kill all the grizzly bears, kill all the caribou, and kill it. Like that, that doesn't exist. Everyone kind of thinks they're on the right side of things. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Hopefully, we can those kind of issues can we can come together and realize that there is a middle ground for sure right so but like like you said with the bull trout or arctic grayling that's a that's a big problem like with the with watersheds and and the amount of disturbance that we do have and i agree like even just people quadding through streams and and taking the muddy route and stuff like that like that's that that can be a big concern i imagine even the last podcast i did was on uh uh, wildfire like the increased probability of, of of catastrophic wildfires in the province or in the in the world and that's relation to water quality and stuff. So I imagine these big catastrophic wildfires that are burning through watersheds and, and, and increasing the amount of pollutants as well as ash and just the water in general that's going into the stream is probably a big problem as well. So it sounds like it's a it's a pretty steep ladder to try and climb, right? But it's yeah, I mean, definitely is. And you know, your your comments about the, the companies I think are are important. I, I, oftentimes people will characterize these major corporations as evil you're absolutely right it's and easy to say they yeah, they exactly. think this right exactly they? right and, and, people and it turns out those are just individuals like you and me who mm-hmm. have a job yeah and and they're not evil you know they're just doing their job so yeah. if you sit down with them and our experience at aca has been really good we work with some of the the largest oil and gas companies uh certainly in in canada if not in the world we work closely with shell uh, with Suncor, with Syncrude, with Devon, with Total. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those companies have been really good to work with. And mm-hmm. um, certainly the individuals we're working with understand the importance of conservation and sustainable activities. And if you sit down with them and say, hey, these are the steps you guys could take to improve things, they actually look to see whether or not they can implement them, and they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, Suncor was uh, the first uh, organization in this province to start doing terrestrial conservation offsets. So they actually provided funds to us to go out and purchase private lands to set aside as habitat um, as a partial offset for impacts they may be having in their developments. Hmm. Um, Shell had just finished a 10-year agreement with us where they're providing us $200,000 a year to do the same type of thing. Right. Uh, so there's there's companies out there that uh, certainly do you know they know it's important and they're yeah. quite willing to help out. Uh, the experience we've had has been it's usually the big big players that understand the importance and are willing to put money into it. It's right. the smaller guys that you know maybe they don't have the extra cash to put into it. Maybe they're right. struggling. I don't know. Those are really uh, the guys that are usually harder to deal with. They'll take the risks. Yeah. Well, take the risks, and you know, and there might very well be important reasons to them as to why. But uh, the big you gotta companies. You got to feed your family. You got to yeah, feed your family. Exactly. That's, it's hard to argue with that, right? Exactly. But, yeah. but certainly, we've found the major corporations, the major oil guys uh, in this province, have been extremely supportive of conservation activities. That's good. That's yeah. good to hear. Because yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's easy to 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 uh, chastise businesses and say they and the, you know the big oil or the whatever it is right like it's it's so easy to just point fingers and and not see them as people that are 
yeah, I'm sure we can all come to a consensus if we just get together and realize that we can we can do integrated land management and we can get we can we can solve all these problems if we just like people are smart. Like we're we're pretty great species when you think about our brain power. I feel like if we all get together from all these different spaces of biologists and foresters and and conservationists and and like and everyone gets together and even industry and and researchers and like I'm sure we can come come up with something, right? Like we're pretty smart as a species. Yeah. I think we can figure it out, but it's yeah, I think it's just so easy. It's, it's it's fun for people to point fingers and go, right? I'm on the right. You're wrong. Bad you, big oil or whatever, right? So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a weird. It's a. It's just always something I thought was funny that people that take that hard stance against something like that, while thinking that they're, you know, they're obviously evil. Clearly, right? Like it's just not realistic. Yeah, but, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and my experience has always been it's been a heck of a lot easier to have changes by working with rather than standing on the outside and pointing fingers. And well, the, yeah, that's why I got into into forestry, and 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 as I got into forestry, I realized that this is like wood fiber is one of the only truly sustainable resources we have on the planet as far as building material and stuff. And why not become a part of it so that I can, I can create sustainable forest, sustainable habitat, sustainable environment and help promote that while providing a, a, a giant, uh, resource to humanity right like this, you can you can do the whole thing it's just requires a lot of brain power a lot of thought a lot of research a lot of science to make sure you do it right but yeah yeah and the other thing i think a lot of people miss is a lot of the the you know the damage the the negative things that have happened um has happened in the past we're still dealing with that I and mean, the caribou issues we're dealing with right now is because of a lot of activity occurred in the past before mm-hmm. anybody gave a thought to caribou and how should we manage them properly yeah you know things are being done very different nowadays the same with you know uh, grailing and bull trout river crossings are a heck of a lot different today than they were even 10 or 15 years ago mm-hmm. um so it's not like it's just uh you know uh, keep going the same thing don't change it the companies are changing government is coming up with new regulations as we yeah. learn and you know, and as society changes what they feel is important. Yeah. And that's, I guess, in the end, it's society that allows this to happen. Yeah, you know? exactly. In the end, we are all to blame. We wanted the jobs. We wanted mm-hmm. the industry. And, you know, that's what happened. So now we've decided, well, maybe we went a little too far. Let's, let's back. back it up a little bit here yeah. and let's see if we can fix the damage we've caused. And, let's uh, put our head to the problem and yeah, figure it out. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting like, your point saying that the, the, the problems people see, like they say oh, this is all clear cut or this is all pipelines or whatever, right? And it's like, well, yeah, that happened, like you said. It take it, It's a scar on the landscape or whatever you want to call it. It's a disturbance in the landscape that was in the past before we were thinking about these things. Yeah. And although it takes a long time for that to come back, it's not to say that we're not currently working on becoming better and more sustainable and more conservation-wise, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to point a finger at, at a profession and, and say, like, you guys are doing it wrong when, when – the result of what they did in the past takes so long to come back into rotation. And, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, yeah I agree with you totally. Absolutely. Um, another, one other thing, or actually a couple other things, but, um, so you guys, you guys acquire a lot of, a lot of land. Right? The ACA acquires a lot of land from like agriculture areas and, and wherever private land. How, how, how does that process work? And like, how do you determine what activities to, to permit on, on that land? Um, so on all the conservation lands that we manage, um, it's foot access only, right. um, no overnight camping, no, uh, uh, no fires, that sort of thing. That's basically, those are the only restrictions on it. So, um, we, our goal is to provide, um, access to conservation sites without having to ask permission. 
And if hunting is available, then you can hunt. If berry picking is available, you can pick berries, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Uh, we certainly have some lands where, you know, it's not allowed because just the location doesn't right. allow for it. Right. Uh, but uh, as much as possible, we allow people to go out there and, and harvest, you know, whatever they might want to harvest. Uh, mm. uh, apart from cutting down trees. We don't yeah, like firewoods are a different yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, renewable. Well, I guess... So renewable, renewable. Yeah, it's renewable. Renewable in a short time. How about yeah. that? One year yeah, renewable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we certainly encourage people to get out there and you know, um, pick mushrooms, berries, harvest your yeah. uh, fish or your deer or whatever it might be, uh, but uh, walking on only. Right. Do, so do you do you guys purchase those through through grant money and stuff, or do you are they are they willed to you or something? So or? it's a it's a combination. The majority certainly are purchased. Okay. Um, so we. Uh, We've sat down and identified particular focus areas throughout the province, and we've done that uh, sitting down with uh, partner groups like uh, Alberta Fish and Game Association, uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada, and Ducks Unlimited. So those are the the three major land trusts in the province that we also work with. Mm-hmm. And we went through a big exercise several years ago where everybody you know, sort of put their guy, their people in one room and uh, and looked at where we overlapped in our priorities and said, okay, well, here's some focus areas we can look at. So that's what we look at first in a particular focus area, and then within that, we'll take a look at uh, you know, what uh, we essentially will go through and look at every quarter section of land uh, and rank it as to its uh, conservation value to us and gotcha. that sort of thing. So when funds come in, uh, we'll go out and make those purchases. Uh, we'll also make purchases, like I said, uh, conservation offsets when we get um, funding from a particular industry partner. They might have particular criteria they're looking for, maybe a location that they want to make sure that they do the offset in. So we're mm-hmm. working that. Uh, but we also get um, um, money out of the federal government, where we've done uh, purchase down in southern Alberta for species at risk. So in the southeast, uh, we're buying land that was uh, identified as being within the um, sage grouse habitat area, and so we've been trying to restore uh, native grasslands on those properties. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and we get donated land. Um, we just, uh, awesome. actually just last month, uh, we had an individual who, uh, has passed away and we found out he left us 240 acres of land outside of Stetler. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm um, sure his kids was, are pissed, but. Well, <laughs> you always wonder, uh, but, uh, you know, it was great. I had never talked to this individual, so I don't know how we got our name, but it was great to see. And, uh, yeah, yeah he just wanted the land conserved, uh forever that's so, awesome yeah that's good to know that they're, yeah like that that's 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 out there now you guys are there to 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 manage that resource right and to keep yeah. it keep it available op- to open to public right so it's, it's still technically privately owned by you guys but it's open to the public so absolutely that's, yeah. that's awesome that's yeah. really good um i got two other kind of broad pretty broad stroke questions just to finish things off here okay um one was kind of uh like what? What do you see as the major, like your guys's major challenges right now, as far as conservation? Like I was, when I think about it, I think it's easy to get sidetracked by charismatic megafauna, like caribou and grizzlies and stuff like that. Whereas I wonder if like invasive species, as far as like grasses and and and, and plants and stuff, might be more of a concern or what? Uh, where your guys' focus well, is? I mean, I'm guessing it's mostly wildlife, but well, well, you know, it really. <laughs> I don't know if we. It's can pretty broad pick, stroke, like yeah, I said. <laughs> I don't know if we can pick one that's the worst. Issue. You know, to be honest, our major focus is more on lines of education and trying to get people more involved. Gotcha. Um, because yeah, you're right. Invasive species is a huge issue, but you've not not just grasses and other things coming in, but 
what about uh, Prussian carp that have now entered the province? And oh, really? Yeah, we've got them throughout the bow system now. So, oh, Jesus. That's so, horrifying. Yeah, so what That's are we going to do good. there? Exactly. Um, I mean, so far, we haven't found any evidence they're having a direct negative impact on our native fisheries populations. But that's just so far. We haven't got enough information. There. Well, they've messed up quite a few river systems in the States, haven't they? Uh, the well, so there's, oh, there's species? four or five different species of carp. Oh, okay. And so it kind of, yeah, I, I we don't know enough about it yet to know how bad it is. So you catch one, um, you just you just keep it well, then, most, probably. <laughs> most people, and we're now, now starting to see reports of people catching them and taking them home and eating them and saying, hey, actually, they're not too bad. So... Who knows? Is this just another brown trout we've now introduced? Maybe in the end it's not as big an issue as we right. think. Now, brown trout have caused some issues for sure, but, you know. But for now, if you catch one, they're they're not, they're they're invasive, so you can just take them. Yeah, no rags around that whatsoever. They're not covered in rags at all, yeah. So Same as like wild boar and yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've got whirling disease that have come in, uh, that has come into the province or has been identified in the province, which may have a negative impact on our, our fishery. God, so you speak those to that, just kind of what it is, but I don't think people know. Uh, well, so whirling just disease quickly. was discovered in, uh, I think it was down in Banff this uh, past spring. So it's a, um, it <laughs> impacts the uh, muscle and nervous system of the fish and essentially causes the fish to swim in a circle. So it, it causes distortion disease. of the the backbone and the muscles along the backbone. So it actually causes it to whirl in a circle. Wow. And uh, it's been in the States for quite a few years. Mm. And um, it's been now, well, well, first identified here very recently. And, you know, the, the initial results that they found when they sort of ran around and tested fish uh, throughout the province is they found in a lot of places across the province now. Really? Uh, so now the question is, has it maybe been here a long time and we just didn't notice and yeah. we're at a more northern climate, so maybe it doesn't have as big an impact or right. maybe we saw massive declines. Maybe there were massive declines in our fish populations and they've already bounced back mm-hmm. and now they're fine. So there's all kinds of questions of, of how this is going to work. Uh, um, you know, on the wildlife side, you've got chronic wasting disease in, yeah. in deer. Uh, which has the potential to go to other ungulates. So that's a huge issue as well. Have they found so, it in moose and elk? And stuff um, like? My understanding is they identified it in one moose from southern Alberta okay. that had been hit on the road. Mm. Um, and I don't know about elk. Whether you have to test the been. brain tissue, right? Yeah, brain or spinal column, I believe. Oh, okay, so nervous tissue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, right now, you know, there's a uh, mandatory head submission requirement for deer that are shot sort of along the eastern side of the province, and mm-hmm. the province is monitoring that way. But So all those are huge potential issues. Yeah, of up. course. But, um, you know, from my point of view, the bigger issue is people not caring. Mm. people not not knowing not knowing not no. caring and like well you know it's it's deer I mean, it doesn't really impact me right i'm not going to worry about it or eh, it's bull trout you know i don't really care about gonna, them and yeah so if that happens well then species sort of wink out one after another without every anybody really thinking about it until it's too late so yeah. our goal is really just to keep people engaged uh keep them thinking about uh, what's going on in the landscape and uh, you know if nothing else having a voice when issues come up yeah uh, we certainly would like to see people you know supporting fishing and hunting and getting out there and being involved so mm-hmm. they um, so hopefully there's a little bit more of an attachment 
so when yeah. an issue like CWD comes up, I mean, you talk to, to a, uh, a hunter about CWD, well, that is something that a hunter is concerned about. Mm-hmm. The average person sitting in Edmonton probably isn't. But probably doesn't even if, know it's a thing. Exactly. So yeah. if we could get more people involved in knowing about it, then... Yeah. Education. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like so. education is this answer to every problem, right? Well, <laughs> it, it is, but yeah, I mean, we're, uh, what we're trying to do is, uh, because you're right, everybody says, oh, we just need to educate the public, educate the public. Well, no, it's not more than educate. It's, it's try to get involvement, not just to educate, but give them opportunities to be engaged. Yeah. So engagement rather than education. Have them have some kind of stake. In yeah. It. Yeah. You know, we're running uh, kids can catch events to try and get, um, uh, kids into fishing for the first time mm-hmm. um and we're finding more and more we're getting new canadians coming out that's so, awesome uh, you know we've got a big one that'll be running out at wobman lake it's our only winter one so it happens during the um the uh, february um family day weekend. oh right so you got free licenses yeah or whatever. yeah and uh, last year we had 1600 people out on the, the lake at, at wobman yeah. on the ice and uh yeah, people might not know that they might not know that there's there's actually i think there's two days a year where you can fish for free, fish for free you yeah. don't have to pay well, yeah so one week one week in the summer one weekend in the winter where right. you can go and give it a try so it's yeah. it's our way of trying to engage those people who aren't doing it yet and they yeah. want to try it for the first time well come on out we'll give you the equipment show you how to do it yeah we even drilled holes for them i spent four yeah. hours drilling holes last year so, <laughs> so you got some forearms yeah, yeah exactly day. yeah <laughs> um so those are the types of things we're trying to do is is not just educate but engage and get people to try it for the first time and you know now they've tried it maybe they don't become an angler but now they understand why people do it and yeah i've done it i can understand why this is important and i want to make sure it's there in the future yeah that's good no that makes sense that makes total sense yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah it's it's that's kind of the same along the same lines is why i started this podcast right it's just to kind of get this information out there so people can if even if they don't partake at least they can they can understand the issue or at least have some kind of you know frame of reference for it right so yeah Yeah, for sure absolutely one final question yep very broad okay uh how do you think i'm always i'm always curious as to like in the in the world scale or canada wide scale or or north american scale how do you how do you think we do as a province or even as a nation for 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 conservation values and stuff like that you know how do we rank like are we do you think we're doing relatively well or like we could always be doing better i'm guessing but um yeah i feel i feel like we're probably probably up there as far as conservation values right well i would my personal opinion is i think we do a heck of a lot better than what we give our ourselves credit for than what everybody tells us yeah all we ever hear in the news is all the bad things that happen in alberta you know that's what sells right Yeah. yeah um but you know when you look at the um the diversity of species and abundant species we have we're doing pretty darn well mm-hmm. uh, compared to a lot of other jurisdictions in uh, north america or, or around the world for that matter mm-hmm. uh, can we improve sure we can no doubt about it but <clears throat> it's always I, room for improvement yeah um the nice thing about alberta is we have the resources to actually do something you know yeah right, right now you know people are going to argue well money's money's not so good in alberta well maybe not right now but relative to other places we're still doing okay yeah um, so I think we've got a lot of, uh, <clears throat> we've got a well-managed resource. I think the, the provincial government does a, a good job at looking at the wide range of issues they have to look at. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of very interested uh, stakeholder groups. We've got good uh, uh, NGOs out there that are working on it. And, uh, uh, you know, I would think we, I, I do believe we have a relatively um, engaged general public mm-hmm. uh, compared to other jurisdictions. Now, overall, it's low. 
Right. Uh, but, you know, we still need more. But I, I think we, we do a pretty good job when it comes to conservation issues in Alberta. That's good. Um, so, yeah. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. That's good. But like you said, there's always room to do better. But Absolutely. it's good to know that we're, we're, we're doing, we're doing yeah. some good out there. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not as bad as what we're told we're yeah. doing. You know, Which is like, what you always get, right, <laughs> yeah, from the media. Like you said, it's, it's always negative like... negative all the time. Yeah, yeah. We didn't meet this target or that target. And, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, you hear stories on, well... Uh, this past week, there was a story about this uh, black bear that has the three-legged black bear and how oh. bad a conservation story that is. And and yeah, okay, I you know you feel for the individual animal, but you take a step back and look at how many black bears we have in this province. We're doing pretty darn good There's, from black bear conservation point of view. Geez, I, when I was elk hunting in, in South of Grand Prairie this year, I at one point I was standing on a on a hill slope looking at a, a giant cup lock. I saw what are they? It was five five black bears yeah there was a sow and, and three cubs turned out it took me a while i watched the sow pretty much most of the day and i every once in a while i'd see a cub and then i'd see another, a different whatever right yeah. and i was like i found out there was three of them and then there was another black bear in the same cup block right but i'm sitting there in one cup block i'd see five black bears at yeah. one time and they're like swan hills is crazy right i did a lot of layout a cup block layout in swan hills and you run into black bears every day yeah and just all they're just around there's a lot of them so yeah exactly but, so yeah, yeah I, I think we're we're doing pretty darn good for the vast majority of our species. Awesome, yeah. good to hear. This is an awesome podcast. I think that we yeah over an hour just flying through topics and we're getting. I think we got through the, the general idea of what I wanted to get through to yeah. for, for the ACA and conservation for people to get that idea. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Um, I uh, if anybody has any questions for Todd, you can just email me at yourforestpodcast at gmail dot com and I can send them your way and and get those answers out there. Absolutely. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Um, yeah. Talk to you next time.